Andrew. Andrew, are you there? Andrew? Ajis, guys. Ajis. 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 I couldn't be here. I'm picking artisanal strawberries. My country house with my dog. I drove my AMG there. It has cross drill brake discs. It makes me go fast. <laughs> That's Andrew Spencer appearing at my house in a COVID safe teleportation matter. <laughs> That's brilliant. My head is giant. I can't wear hats. Did I stretch this photo a bit? Maybe. I don't know. For our listeners, just because you can't see this, Spence can't be with us tonight, so Gareth has graciously brought the nearest facsimile, a picture of Spence on a flutterboard. Uh, this is his official LinkedIn profile photo from some corporate document a couple of years ago. Yeah. You're a handsome man, Spence. <laughs> He's got business hair. This is a lesson to all of us. Don't miss one of these podcasts because you're just going to get picked on all the way through. (laughs) And it's lights out. We're back with another episode of Flippin' F1, where four, at least tonight, three fanboys fire off about F1. My, my, my. We've made it through a pretty busy few weeks and hammered through a triple header. Our post-race frolics feature some goofball games, candid commentary, and accessible analysis, not to mention an avalanche of alliteration, that lets us break down this last two weeks of racing, talk about the circuit, which just happens to be one circuit this week that two races got run on, the surrounding area, which was absolutely gorgeous, and dig a little deeper into the world's most legendary motorsport. Now, whether you're one of our seven listeners, hi mom, or are new to the pod or the sport, our panel remains more predictable than an F1 pattern, as always. Now, I'm your host that never coasts, Randy, and joining me in the studio today is our panel of fanboys, our detail junkie, the ever-vigilant Gareth Stackhouse, who had a boring week one week with very little decision-making required from the stewards, and then another week where there was all kinds of legal rigmarole. How's it going, man? It's going fantastic, Rand. I'm ready to lay into the stewards. <laughs> oh, no doubt. What are you drinking? Uh, old tub bourbon, yet again, and some soda water. It's delicious and refreshing. Consistency is the theme of the week. Especially Call me Lando to... Norris. Yeah. All right. And Phil, our professor, the dedicated Merck Slam boy, brings the history of the sport along with the expert knowledge of olive oil, wine, and other things. How you doing, bro? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, you know, certainly uh, down for slamming the Mercs again. Yeah, of course you are. As always. <laughs> what else can <laughs> we expect from you? More predictable than a Haas finish. Um, <laughs> as it were... <laughs> Glad there is something. It's amazing. <laughs> it's a flipping F1 super episode. Races two and three of this triple header this past week sees us visit the famed Red Bull Ring, which, because I'm a stodgy old man, will forever be the O Ring to me. And Phil can pronounce it correctly, which is just one of the three things that he actually can get him to say Monaco. I dare you. Uh, <laughs> in beautiful Spielberg, Austria, unlike Paul Ricard, an eyesore set amidst the loveliness of southern France. This course makes the most of the stunning hills and countryside for spectacular views and some usually pretty stunning races. Now, as we begin to emerge into what we'd call the next normal, crowds are coming back and with it a renewed feeling of gathering for our sport or any sport to cheer on our favorite teams and players. Hey, Phil, tell us a little bit about the circuit itself and some of its history. Why do drivers so love this course and what's made it historically significant to the F1 Championship? Well, I mean, I think, you know, when you think why do drivers love the course, you just got to look at it. It's a very fast course, a lot of straights, uh, and then there's some really nice tight turns. So you've got to have a car that's balanced between speed, 
and being able to do corners. They talk about having cars that can do that, but to be successful in the circuit, you've really got to master those techniques. In that sense, it's a challenging course. Historically, I mean, this is the Österreich ring. If anybody wants to know how to properly pronounce that, feel free to contact me later. Um, I won't say that three times in a row, though, because apparently I can't say Monaco. <laughs> Still not. All the product that goes in Paul Ricard. And this is why our editor, Eric, has fits. Always <laughs> love spending time with you. I should be Spencer today and not be here. It would be probably better. But no, it's a, it's a fantastic course. I mean, there's some uh, nice tight turns. Corner three is really special for that, where it's almost an over 90 degree turn uphill, uh, and then going downhill right afterwards. And the cars often unload going into that. And then right afterwards, you've got corner four, which is a downhill right-hander. I really do want to know how many times did Mazepin manage to change his brake bias needed to do those two corners effectively. <laughs> and yet another question for our big spinning top, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. There you go. Um, <laughs> it's a fantastic circuit, though, and it's good to be there. Uh, it's got a lot of history, and that's probably the other thing about the circuit if you look into it. Dates back to the 70s, and from that perspective, there's a lot of the old-style circuits for the 70s, things like the old Hockenheim and things like that. However, I do have a question for you. Is there a circuit designed today that is currently in use that has not had Herman Tilke involved anywhere? Monaco? Because this is yet another one that he's touched. I feel like this is a trick question. I don't know. So I'm actually curious about this, because I think he's possibly, you know, he might be touching that for the redesign. That's my point. That's something you just need to bring, bring back to the next spot, man. <laughs> bring it back to the next one. We'll see what happens. Gareth, there's lots and lots and lots of tech to geek out on, including the return of the droning on about track limits. But tell us a little bit about the difference between Styria and Austria. So while we know that the two races were so named to accommodate the pandemic in 2020, what's the historical significance? Why are we calling it two different races? Ah, well, Formula One, you can't say hey, this is Grand Prix of Austria 1, and this is Grand Prix of Austria 2. They just don't work that way. You got to kind of have a different name there, whether you're the 70th anniversary Grand Prix, which is at Silverstone, or the Styrian Grand Prix, which was exactly the same place as the Austrian Grand Prix, same track, all the same stuff, minus some tire shenanigans. Styria, of course, is the province or state in Austria in which this is located. So they put up a different flag, put a different name on things, and we go around again. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. I, uh, I was going to ask about why Austria is such a special place to visit. Uh, hopefully, the first time that we do a live recording of Flippin' F1, it'll be all four of us in Austria. But wait, wait, do I hear Andrew Spencer coming up? I don't know yet. Jeez, oh, guys. Andrew, why is Austria such a special place? Back. Spence? Uh, it's, it's, it's beautiful, Randy. It's uh, surrounded by hills. It's green. It's lovely. You can drink in public and there's schnitzel. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you, Spence. Now, with that, it's time to play everybody's favorite game. Come on, Eric, play the sound. Box, box, box. Bingo! For those new to our show, Box, Box, Box Bingo sees our panel make some poorly informed prognostications, which is perfectly fine because the points don't really matter. For every race, our panel makes a series of predictions, some obvious, some outrageous, all completely irrelevant to the outcome of the race. It's like a weekly series of prop bets where Gareth is almost guaranteed to win, just by virtue of being able to move the goalposts, which I think happened again this week. As ever, Haas driver Nikita Mazepin, his proneness to spin or bin during the race weekend makes up the middle of all of our cards, increasing the possibility of a win by any of us, which we all know is still not going to happen. Each of our panelists will quickly run through their favorite predictions and let us know how they did on their bingo card. And this week, 
We've got two bingo cards to get through, so it's a supersized version. So, Professor, like a red bull in the ring, you've been rearing to bag on my beloved Mercs, and you boxed them in pretty good, at least during the Styrian Grand Prix. So, how did you do on the first bingo card? Uh, you know, I did pretty good. I mean, I was expecting Verstappen on, on the grid in pole and, and to take the win, and I do believe he did both. Uh, you know, so that from that side was good. Um, I had Gasly doing better uh, in the first Styrian Grand Prix. Unfortunately, you know, crashed out on corner three, and that was it. So my trend continues with don't uh, take my bets into account when you're placing any bets, because uh, chances are you're going to lose. <laughs> uh, Spence, did you make it on the board? Yeah, I, I, I put some stuff up. I, I was wrong. I lost. Um, but Crofty did explain the Hab sticker on Lance's helmet. So I got some points for that. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. A couple of points there. Uh, I like it. I like it, Spence. Good stuff. All right, Gareth, after an off week that saw you take about uh, eight tenths of a point, beating all of us by about seven tenths, how did this bingo card go for you? Which is actually the average qualifying gap between Mazepin and Schumacher in favor of Schumacher. <laughs> I did okay. I think we all predicted, you know, Verstappen be on the poll. My top five for the race was just, I figured Gasly would win and Perez would come second. There'd be some conflagration between... Um, Verstappen and Hamilton, that didn't happen. I also said that Russell's going to have a shit race and everyone crashes and then he scores points by default rather than skill. Nope, that didn't happen either at uh, Austria. He just lost because his car broke. <laughs> Great points for Aston Alpine. I'm getting points for that. Aston Alpine definitely put themselves both on the board. And you know what? I, was, I figured everybody would be loopy from all the finishing in France. Didn't happen. Uh, there wasn't any great coming together except Charles Leclerc playing tag with everybody. He knew he was it. Nobody else was playing. And then finally, I, I did predict that Zach was going to send Toto a bill for recovery services. Toto would send Valtteri over to kind of work it off. And then uh, Valtteri would really be considering if he's the second driver. That, that probably happened. So that's 50 points. I win. <laughs> you got something on that one. <laughs> that's, that's fair enough. You know, that's, uh, that, that works too. Like George Russell, for me, I keep coming close to the points only to be foiled by stuff that I probably should have known better about. And sure enough, Mr. Saturday made it Mr. Saturday again at the Syrian Grand Prix just to finish outside the points again. So close, but no QP doll for this one. So I had all former champions ending up in the points, and that was really not going to happen. Uh, unfortunately, I had the rain showing up again. Nothing there. I really had McLaren coming along and really showing up in the first race, and that didn't happen till the second. So I don't know what the hell. But my, my favorite prediction of my own was both alphas in the points. It was like, all right, go wild. This is going to be crazy. We're going to see Italian Jesus and, and the old man Kimmy do something wild. And sure enough, they just did exactly what they do. So that was fun. So I think I scored all of, what, you know, two-thirds of a point again. So, yeah, good on me. <laughs> We're on track. We're never going to be the linchpins behind the betters, I can tell you. Uh, Spence did want me to mention he predicted that Alonzo was going to get a grid penalty for the jorts he'd been wearing earlier that week. <laughs> that may have happened. Who knows? That's our, that's our, that's a little fashion F1 for the uh, Styrian Grand Prix. Are jorts back? I know wellies were back all of a sudden last week. Is are jorts back now too? Only if you drive a Corvette and wear white New Balances. Ah, okay, good. So it's, it's got to go through Monaco before it comes to the exactly. rest of the world. Awesome. Phil's got lovely jorts and New Balances, by the way. No doubt. Well, it's a game so much fun, we're going to do it again. That's right, we're seeing double. Looks like the same race on the same circuit, but we assure you it's completely different, right? Well, we'll see. Let's take a look at the prognostications for one week later at the Austrian Grand Prix this past weekend. So let's start with everyone's podium picks. How'd you do, guys? 
I mean, I got Verstappen winning again. That was good. Uh, and then everything else was a bust. No, 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 Phil. We don't know what you did because you decided to be super lazy and use like an iPad or a handwriting tool on our little prediction thing. Nobody can read your writing, so it's uh, 50 points off for you. I'm sorry you lose. Perfect, because that's what the intent was. You can't tell what I'm predicting. It's fantastic. There's no copying, no cheating. It's like when you talk, we just don't know what you're saying. So I could say, you know what? I was the victor today because I wrote everything down that came through. And yet you lost 50 <laughs> points for using a scanner on Apple IIe. So it's... Uh... <laughs> No, I honestly had Hamilton doing far better this race and Gasly doing a lot better. And I just, again, nowhere to be found in those top five. I, I'm with you. I figured Hamilton would be up there. No, I did put Norris in fourth. So that's close enough, counts. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's, that gives me half a point. I'll take it. I'll take it. That's a half <laughs> point to me. That's basically where we were. Uh, Spence was wrong. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's, that sounds about right. That sounds right. Well, he did get Norris qualifying third. Norris qualified second, of course. Uh, I guess, you know, that's kind of point-ish. I get a point. I get a point. He did get uh, Latifi as the top Canadian finisher, did he not? He did. Um, and I think he said Ricardo fails to get into Q3, which fortunately didn't happen. Was Latifi the top Canadian finisher? I think so. Did Lance finish that race? I know he was complaining at Brad at some point. Brad! <laughs> he, fi he finished in 13th. He kicked Latifi's yeah. butt. <laughs> and I, I had predicted that Williams would not score any points. That is sadly correct. So I get points because he didn't score. Yeah, I thought for sure that George was going to take points at this yeah. one. It has to happen soon. It's going to be a comedic tragedy that George Russell never scores points in Williams. Oh, don't say that. Don't but say just that. the way it's been going, I want him to win a race in Williams. Please, I do. I want him to figure it out at Silverstone next race. That's, you know, if he just gets one point, do it at home. Get the big cheer and then, you know, let it loose for the rest of the season. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Crowd would go wild, like winning the soccer game today or yeah. football game today. Well, this is it, right? Give England one last thing to cheer about before the Dutch take over for the rest of the season. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also predicted that the FIA was going to enforce track limits and that running wide around the outside isn't how people keep position. Oh, they enforce track limits, but let's talk about that later, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was somewhat correct about that. You can't keep position running wide around the outside. But definitely you can run wide around the first corner and there are no consequences at all. I did have Yuki getting nailed by the stewards. Oh, so you got you know, something. That, you I'm go. taking that out. And Ricardo dialing it in for real. You know, I mean, he did finish well, I thought. You know, I'll take top 10. And you know? on the strategy, I predicted that anybody who made through to Q3 on softs would be hosed and be kind of behind everybody who was on mediums or only made it to Q2. Yeah. And that happened. The Aston Martins finished outside the points. They made it to Q3 on the softs because of the faster tire. But then they degraded so quickly and they fell down the order and couldn't make their way back up through the traffic. Same with the Alpha Tauris. I mean, Gasly got two points in ninth, but that was it. You know, that actually begs a really good question, Gareth. So when we talk about strategy in Formula One, what does it mean exactly? What are we talking about? Well, you don't just get in your car, floor it, and drive 71 laps. You got to do some thinking in between. And the strategy is multifactorial, of course, but it's what kind of tires am I using? The tires degrade at different times or different rates. And I can go faster here and slower here. It's when do you pit to change your tires? It's even how fast do you drive at certain points in the race to preserve your tires? Tires come up a lot in strategy. And if you ever hear somebody say, well, they're going to soft, soft, medium strategy, that is a tire strategy. Starting your softs, 
have a pit stop, change to another set of softs, have another pit stop, change to mediums, go a few more laps on your mediums and hopefully make it to the end of the race. And quite a bit of it in our modern uh, Formula One is about track position. Who can I jump in front of because of where I've pitted and how long I've stayed out, I've overcut, or if I've pitted earlier and I've gone really fast, once I get out of the pits, I can undercut somebody else who's in front of me and pull one over on them. That's a top level thing. Ted Kravitz with his uh, daughter's colored pencils has done a brilliant explanation of this <laughs> on Sky a couple years ago. Nice. Phil, Gareth gives us a great explanation, but do tire compounds really matter that much? I mean, how soft or hard your tire is, does that really, really change the race? Changes how long they can run without the tires falling off the cliff, i.e. having not enough traction to get around the track effectively. So it has a big play on it because if you run them too long, they either do what they did in Baku, which is they explode. <laughs> Putting my own opinion in there, let me let me be clear. That wasn't debris? What? <laughs> Sorry, do we just lose our Pirelli sponsorship or what? Yeah, Pirelli's, Pirelli's done. They just walked away. Limped. Sorry, guys. I think they limped. One of their shoes wasn't working. <laughs> this podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires. Cooper, because nobody else will touch us. <laughs> I'll take sponsorship from anybody, folks. Uh... <laughs> So yeah, now the tire compounds do matter. They make a big difference in terms of uh, how fast and far. I mean, you know, they were brought in to create uncertainty within the race, so to speak, so that things didn't turn out, you know, the same tire manufacturer the whole way through and nothing really changing. So they wanted some variety within the teams to force the teams to do pit stops, to force the teams to think strategically and creatively, as Gareth was talked about, the strategy. You know, when you think about early 2000s, they were running two different tire companies. So you had... Some teams on Michelin, some teams on Goodyear or Bridgestone. So that created uncertainty within their strategies because that created different functions within the tires, right? And you saw that some races suited certain tires better than others, right? And people would design their car to a particular tire as well. Absolutely. And they were linked with that manufacturer. Yeah, I mean, Bridgestone and Ferrari are probably the best example of that in, in history, right? The tire was built for that car, and you put that tire on anybody else's car it was not as good. It was just simple. Yeah, everybody else who finished in the points at that U.S. Grand Prix with Michelin pulled out of. And Phil, for this race, Pirelli actually changed up the compounds. Could you tell us a little bit about tire compounds? Well, they were testing a compound, the change in the compound for uh, for Silverstone, actually, folks. Uh, but they were testing a, a different compound. It's not really a compound. They were testing a different manufacturing structure, apparently, whatever that means. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know what that means. And that was in free practice. But as between the Styrian Grand Prix and the Austrian Grand Prix, right. our kind of medium hard soft tires switched to what they call a step softer. And last week's hard tire becomes this week's medium tire, blah, 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 down the chain or backwards if I've got if I've got that wrong. Yeah. And they put different colors on softer tires because they actually have a range of compounds that they'll call soft, medium, and hard, just depending on what they're running at that particular race weekend. And I think that's probably what added to some of the, the nice uncertainty within this race, right? I mean, if you'd ran the same race, the same track with the exact same tires, your predictions would be very similar. It would just be boring. Well, that, that gave us the whole, it changed up the strategy. You've got to use these soft tires, but they degrade so quickly because your soft tires are so much softer than last week. And it forced teams to do different things with their tires because certain teams are still running. They run better on certain tires. Mercedes, for example, seems to run better on the harder tire right now. Which I don't get, because it seemed so dialed in on the on the mediums, right? I keep throwing that up on the board, and every time they run on the mediums, it seems like they're just flying. I don't know why it doesn't keep coming up, but 
Fellas, what was your most outrageous two picks for Austria, and how'd you fare? What surprised you? My outrageous picks? I really thought, finally, it's going to rain. I looked at the weather reports. I looked at satellite maps. I thought we were going to have chaos, and then we were going to get a re- retired champions podium of Alonzo Vettel and Kimi, and Kimi would actually smile. That was the outrageous thing. <laughs> <laughs> what drugs were you taking when you made that prediction? <sighs> Antihistamines. As we all know, did not happen. What did happen, though, is retired champ Vettel blocked Alonso during his qualifying. Alonso qualified like garbage, thought he could have qualified fifth or higher. And then at the end of the race, Kimi had a senior moment and just drove into the side of Seb Vettel, both out of the points. Yeah, it was a fantastic illustration that age and driving may need to be something that gets looked at sometimes. That says the oldest man on the board, by the way. Have we taken away your license yet, Phil? The radio on that was some of my favorite, right? Because it was like two old men in an accident. I don't know what happened. 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 So, so I'm watching it. I watched it repeatedly. And I watched it from Vettel's side. I watched it from Raikkonen's perspective. I'm like, what were they doing? Neither of them turned the wheel excessively one way or the other. They held onto the corner. But Raikkonen's car just veers into Vettel's. I'm like, and what did you not see? And then Vettel and Raikkonen's like, what was he doing? I'm like, he was in front of him. You could see the Aston Martin. What were you doing, Raikkonen? Not paying attention. Was his blinker on... Going the other way, <laughs> he confused the brake and the gas. Oh, a true senior moment, unfortunately. <laughs> I, you know, Absolutely. Did you have any outrageous predictions there, Phil? I mean, my predictions, I thought Ferrari and McLaren would both finish in the top 10. <laughs> no. A McLaren finished in the One top McLaren 10. Did. Not, not both of the yeah, cars. Yeah, exactly. Actually, sorry, both of the McLarens finished in the top 10. Oh, that's right on. Ricardo was seventh. Yes, that's what I said. Ricardo did all right. I, I thought that was uh, solid. Phil, you got points, but for the fact you had negative points due to your poor penmanship. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I you lose. I lose. I just got to go back to this, right? Because, you know, Phil's contribution to Kimmy saying, I don't know what happened, and, and Seb saying, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Phil just told us that he looked at everything, and his contribution is, I don't know what happened. Like, the old man trifecta. I love it. I was going to put that down to the fact that old age has a play, let me tell you. I don't know what happened. (laughs) Thanks for the support, Spence. Speaking of which, Spence called less than 17 finishers. I don't know what was going on in his head there. He was looking for carnage, and I think if we'd had rain, we might have had that. Well, if you count Nikita Mazepin finishing a full lap behind his teammate, you could say he didn't bother to finish the race, but that's still 18 (laughs) finishers. Oh, no, actually, I'm sorry. So there were 18 finishers because Vettel was classified as a DNF because Kimi didn't know what happened, but drove inside of him. <laughs> and because Mazepin was like more than three laps down, why not? Yeah, 17 finishers. <laughs> Mazepin, you don't count. <laughs> Poor guy. What? what? What are we going to do, Randy? Start being nice to Nikita Mazepin? Well, let's see here. That's box, 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 bingo for one more week. And for our followers, we're going to put up a blank card on our Twitter feed. So that you can play at home before the race, take a picture of it, tweet us at, at FlippinF1, and we might uh, talk about some of your predictions. And, you know what, if we like it, we might even invite you to come onto the show with us and, and hang for a week. I gotta say, though, for a, a couple of races that I thought were going to be really, really spicy, and the first one was a clear sleeper, second one, not bad, not great, you know, there's some good midfield battles, but not a lot uh, to write home about, which makes us time to play our next game so now you can ask your question uh are we going to say something nice about nikita mazepin for once randy i don't know turn there oh and another spin uh but it's nikita mazepin well as the old saying goes if you can't say something nice say it about mazepin so since everyone uses nikita as a pin cushion anyways 
Oh, crap. That would be crazy good merchandise. A Haas Mazepin cushion. I think we got our first piece of merch. I love it. Okay, fine. Maybe not. But I thought we'd try our hand at spinning the positive. So this week, fellas, I'm adding an extra rule because Gareth prompted it. We're going to make sure that as we spin, all of you need to say at least one thing nice about poor Maz, just so that we're not always bagging on the fella, even though we still say no to him and support that hashtag as long as it persists. So, fellas, who's going to get started? Say something nice. Well, I'll start up then. The one thing I can say is that Mazepin did not cause a red flag. That's something. That is something. <laughs> and there wasn't a red flag for these for these two races. There wasn't a red flag compared to all the other races? Um... Go ahead, Phil. Me, please. all right. After you, and I don't have a, I don't have a lot on this one, except to say, you know, it's great to see a driver that has a sense of humor, or at least I think has a sense of humor. Um, you know, I love the fact that he took the gift from uh, Gunter, Gunter Steiner, so humorously and easily, and then returned the favor the following week with a broken door <laughs> to replace the already broken door in the motorhome, uh, thanks to Grosjean a couple of years before. So. That showed a good sense of humor. I really respect the guy for that. And and you know what? If it is true what they're saying, and this is this is the positive stuff, the good stuff. If it is true what is being said is that his car is actually heavier uh, and is causing the half a second a lap difference between the two cars, you know, then he's doing fairly well if he's only half a second behind Schumacher in qualifying. Why would his car fill be heavier? Because of the repairs. When the the chassis is the same chassis they've been using for the last year and a half. Oh, he's, he's driving Magnuson a chassis. Huge... Yeah, and so he's not due for a new chassis until I think it's Spa, and so they're you know they're saying that all the repair work that they've done on the chassis and, and the fact that it's an older chassis and everything like that is that it's heavier and it's worth about a half a second a lap. If that is true, then you know what? Kudos to the guy because he's actually holding form with Mick on every qualifying and everything like that. He's half a second behind. Getting into the race, that may be a different story, uh, but that's the positive. I think he's he's. Still good. Far be it for me, by the way, to correct the professor, but it was Magnuson who kicked the door, not Grosjean. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure. You're right. Actually, <laughs> you are right. Yes. Okay. You know what? Uh, Hang on. I love Drive to Survive. I'll go back and watch. One day, we're going to film this at a time that is reasonable for us on the East Coast to be able to do this and be sane when we talk. This is unfair to the West Coast. <laughs> Formula One is unfair. This is my favorite. <laughs> Andrew Spencer, the white lawyer, complaining about Eurocentricism. As he sits there with his golden retriever. Yep, that's always usually my favorite part of this whole thing. <laughs> the only other thing I would like to spin is, you know, kudos to the stewards for being consistent. Consistently wrong, but at least they were consistent. Yeah, and we, we will get to that. I have some opinions. Oh, we know. In terms of saying a nice thing about Nikita Mazepin, I could say he hasn't punched anybody this year that we know of. Yeah. He hasn't committed yeah. any more crimes on video that we know of. Yeah. His English is very good because his kleptocrat billionaire father probably hired a British English tutor. So that's what I could say nice about him. I actually can't stand to watch the guy, guy get interviewed yeah, and whine. Uh, I, I hear you. You know, but whining's nothing new to the sport, Gareth. Whining <laughs> is nothing new to the sport. It's consistent across all drivers. Wait, there's whining in Formula One, Phil? I know. I know, I, I know what you want to back it? here, but all drivers are Brad. 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 You're not being clear, Brad. Brad, you didn't tell me I had to do the thing. <laughs> that has to be one of the best radio messages. I mean, seriously. You know, I will say the one thing that I will spin is the DRS train that showed up at least at Styria 
although boring, it, it points to the fact that there was some clear racing. Mm-hmm. DRS only happens if you're within a second of each other and in the zone. And that meant that, at least through the middle, that train, as it were, was racing each other closely. And so, yeah, it would be nice to see something that mitigates a train and promotes overtaking to either get into the DRS or avoid a DRS train. I have no idea what that would be. But there's clearly something that's happening in the middle and something that makes most races interesting, except for DRS actually becomes this problematic thing all of a sudden. You know, and then that's of an opinion. You know, I, I'm of the other opinion. Let's get rid of it and let's have cars that actually, you know, build cars that don't punch those holes that damage the cars behind mm-hmm. them. I mean, that's what's happened. That's why it's there. Right? You know, it's because of the, the design is designing a car that once the car has gone through that air initially, right, it's also ensuring that the car behind can't follow too closely. But, you know, it's also part of racing. It's part of the sport, right? I don't know. I look at the DRS and I think, yeah, it's fantastic. It adds a couple of horsepower, but it doesn't change, right? It doesn't actually change the excitement for the sport. Which, I mean, is interesting, right? Does that get solved by something like Red Bull did this weekend, which is like bring a whole new front wing with a bigger, sort of more aggressive set of angles? I mean, you know, how do you do that exactly? I don't know. I'm not that type of professor. Yeah. He's not a professor of aerodynamicism. He's just professor of dynamism. <laughs> professor of wordisms. That's it. What about you, Gareth? Anything to spin this week outside of your spin on Nikita? Yeah, yeah. And I actually, I wrote this for the Steering Grand Prix, which happened before the Austrian Grand Prix. It was boring, but the kind of interesting thing was it was the first time since 2014 that Mercedes hadn't won a race in any four consecutive races. I didn't look up what the stat is for kind of any five consecutive races, but it's probably at least 2014 because that was when they started winning everything. So we've had a kind of a shakeup in what's going on at the top. And we will see how that plays out when we do our predictions about next week. Just to talk about that, the interesting fact, and I mean, just to go on to something that we've talked about before, is that racetrack really prone to one car and another. Mercedes at this track has an incredible history. In the last seven years, the track's been on the circuit. Mercedes has won six times at the circuit, right? Mm-hmm. Like almost complete and out of dominance. We've had the last two yeah. years, we've had two races there. So they haven't run both these races and they didn't win one race last year. But other than that, they've won every race at that circuit. And this goes back to, you know, maybe there's no such thing as a Mercedes circuit or a Red Bull circuit anymore. You know, I will say, and I know we're going to talk about stewards, and I know that we got a whole segment on, you know, all of that. But I will say something I will spin positively is at least Michael Massey is funny as hell. Yes. <laughs> like, his answers to everything right now is just worth living for itself. Like, I just, I think I could easily listen to a couple hours of Michael Massey response radio. I don't know. It's killing me every time. It's just absolutely brilliant. His deadpan is pretty on point. <laughs> With that, we end this edition of Mazda Spin. You know, something that I found really compelling both of these weekends was the W series of racing was part of the undercard races at Spielberg during both races. So Sax, tell us a little bit about the W series. Why is it significant for the diversity of our sport? How might it impact F1's future? Well, the W series is a female or female identified only racing series, FIA sanctions. And this year it is racing as a support series for Formula One. They've been a DTM support series in 2019. And I hate to tell people to go listen to other podcasts, but I'm going to. <laughs> so Autosport, they have a wonderful podcast, the website Autosport. And they did a podcast about three weeks ago with Jamie Chadwick. She's the current reigning champion. And David Coulthard, former Formula One driver, 
who is, let's call him a booster of the series. He's actually the commentator of the series, or one of the commentators. And it really got into the wherefore, why, and the history of it much more than we can do here. And it really came about because of the underrepresentation of women in motorsport. Basically, there's underrepresentation of women across the board in motorsport or female identified people, be it mechanics, drivers, strategists, whatever you might see. If you watch some of the background stuff at Formula One races, as we do, I love you know Ted's notebook. There are a few female or female identified strategists and mechanics, but there's no gender parity. That's for darn sure. And it was brought in 2019. Let's do this. Let's see if we can boost the careers of female drivers. And the important thing to note about drivers of any sort who really aren't in a Formula One level or maybe an IndyCar level championship, you got to hustle. You have multiple jobs. You are a gig worker. And one of the important things Jamie Chadwick said is, well, I race all this other stuff, but this is another platform for me to get exposure together with open wheel racing because a lot of the stuff that people might race, they might race sports cars or some type of other car that's not open wheel. It was set up like that. It is kind of from a technical standpoint, they're using a Formula 3 type chassis. So a feeder series chassis, it's a regional Formula 3 chassis with Alfa Romeo engines, and none of them blew up in the two races I've watched. So they're obviously better than Alfa Romeo's current road products. <laughs> Disclaimer here. <laughs> and there goes the Alfa Romeo sponsorship. All right, well, come on, Volkswagen. <laughs> We're doing well today. It's okay. We lost your Stellantis sponsorship last week. I think I called them a cholesterol drug. <laughs> no, that's true enough, too. <laughs> I was going to say, Randy, yeah. where we're seeing some of the diversity coming up from the W Series is Jessica Hawkins. She is a Aston Martin Formula One, I think they call her driver ambassador. And she drives in a number of series, but she's also driving the W Series this year. That's yeah. great. You've got teams bringing in female drivers or female identified drivers to say, let's bring you in. You're here. You're racing with us. Let's embrace some diversity in this. You know, and I love that, right? One of the things that I found really compelling was if you look at the podium for this week's W Series, both of these races, the podium had, you know, both the eldest and the youngest driver on the podium itself. And the age gap, I mean, it was great, but also very telling, right? To see that age gap tells us that there's got to be more, you know, more of these racers out there, more opportunity for these racers to, to apply the sport and participate. Phil, has there been a she-her identifying driver in the past? Has F1 tried to move from being a boys club? And if so, why have those efforts stalled? You know, they have. I had to go digging to find this information. Uh, it is not easy information to find out there. Uh, but bottom line, there have actually been five F1 races that have identified as uh, she-her. But the last one was in 92, huh. right? That actually raced in a sort of started in a qualifying session or anything like that. We've had a few, quite a few over the years, uh, female testers. Susie Wolf probably is the best known one, right. uh, Toto's wife. Yeah. She was a Williams test driver for, for a number of years. And she, I, remember, I think she was the last one to actually test in a Grand Prix weekend. Yeah, yeah I think you're uh, correct. A number of years ago. But, you know, the second part of the answer is, it's, and Gareth touched on it, the problem is how drivers are built up and built into the, into the sport. And it's a dollar's game. Right. And so the money, for some reason, isn't funneling that way. It should be. There's no reason why we can't have female drivers in the sport. They're equally as gifted and skilled. But the money doesn't seem to be there. Right. And the interest doesn't seem to be there. And, and it ends up being a numbers scenario where you've got 20 to 24 top seats in Formula One. But there are 10,000 plus race drivers in the world. Right. Sure. 
so you know we've got it encouraging and i think the, the wco is a great start encouraging the female perspective the female demographic to get interested in the sport to build themselves up i think that's the starting point that's where it's it's got to start right you can't just take somebody from the street and put them in a car you couldn't take me even and put me in a formula one car and expect me to to even qualify with 107 percent yeah I'll try asking your wife when you're on a road trip but you know, I, I've heard her complain, but uh, <laughs> no, but, you know, I, I only partially agree with you, though, right? I mean, I went searching this weekend for, hey, where can I watch these series races on TV or whatever? And it was just not there. So not there. the highlights are on YouTube and David Coulthard, they get into this on the podcast. If you're in Europe, it's actually free to air. Channel 4 in the UK does it. And they specifically made it as a free to air. So not a paid subscription. But you can't, you know, through our F1 TV subscription, we can't get it. And, you know, the racing was close. The racing was hard. It's kind of the Formula 3 cars. So it's not very, you know, spread out. It was decent racing, but it is. It's hard to access. This is what bothers me, right? If it's free to air on BBC, meaning that the TV deals are either just throwing it into the F1 package or something like that, why aren't we seeing, you know, a TSN throw it on TSN 5 or something like that where... If you're a hardcore enough sport fan, you know, it's on or it's on on replays. Then I would love to introduce somebody like my niece to the W Series because, I mean, she always wonders why, like so many of the friends in our lives, right? Like, why do you watch cars going around in circles? You know, isn't that just a bunch of rich guys running around playing with toys, right? I'd love to show her that, hey, look, actually, there is a series for women and they are trying to make it an F1 feeder series and, and build that that interest up. But you only build interest. You only get sponsorship if... You build an audience, and you only build the audience by putting it on TV or putting it out there in a way that people can actually access it. True, but it's also, I mean, you hit on it. It's a sponsorship issue, even if it's a free-to-air. Maybe this is something they should be considering, is, you know, putting it on YouTube or something like that, where it's actually truly accessible from that perspective. Yeah, and I don't know why they've only got the highlights on there. Yeah. If they control the rights to it, they should be putting the full race on. And I did watch the highlights on YouTube, and I'm going to tell you, you can't tell somebody's gender no. by the race car they're in. Absolutely not. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it it literally doesn't matter. And you see that even in Indy, where there's a couple of female race drivers and things like that, and they have been over the years. You can't tell. Danica Patrick, Lynn St. Yeah. James. Yeah. So I mean, they're in other industries, but it's trying to get them into Formula One. I think that's you know trying to get any driver into Formula One is a struggle, right? Uh, but it's a yeah. numbers game. Yeah. And going back to Randy's comment is sponsorship and money. If you have exposure for people. That is how you can get sponsorship and money. And Randy had also tied it to, hey, there's an age spread. Because if you look at, say, an FIA Formula 2 race, it's a bunch of guys who are what Shakespeare would call unrough youths. They're most definitely like, if you're 19, you're aged. You're old, and that's it. And just to, I just looked up some history that I wanted to share really quickly. So the last female driver was Giovanna Amati. She raced in 92 for Brabham, made three entries, didn't pre-qualify. Lella Lombardi was the most successful female Formula One driver over the span of about three years in the mid-70s. And she entered 17 Grand Prix, started seven, started 12, and scored actually points. She scored a half point in the race that was cut short. So there is some history out there. There's some great history of the really, really old female Formula One drivers. I'm going to name check somebody, and maybe you can add her on Twitter, because I think that's what you kids are doing these days, Randy. Uh, her... Her name is Elizabeth Blackstock. She's a writer for the website Jalopnik. She writes a number, number of things, including racing, uh, quite a bit of racing coverage. And she's got a couple of stories 
about pre-World War II Grand Prix, female Grand Prix drivers, including somebody named Liskia Junkova, which is the most successful Czech Grand Prix driver you've never heard of, and a former cabaret dancer called Helly Nice, but whose name was actually Mariette Helene DeLong, who was a French racing driver, again, in the pre-World War II era. Yeah, you know, I honestly think we're going to have to go back to this subject uh, in a bonus episode after the season's over, because I think this is fascinating, and this, to me, would be a great just sort of quick history podcast on something. I, I think just in this short little bit, we've uncovered a whole bunch of stuff that I think is, you know, important. And I, and I think, you know, for new fans that have come to the sport through DTS or or things like that, like this is the stuff that should keep them interested, that should keep them you know, involved. I think these are the stories that you start to dig into some of the real history. I do this a lot with track and field, right? Like going back to she, her identifying athletes that, you know, go all the way back to sort of the earliest modern games. And the stories are just phenomenal. The stories are great. But unless they're shared, unless they're put out there by pods like ours, right? Nobody knows. The exposure's not there. And you can't build that audience that builds sponsorships. Stories only exist if they're told. Well, yeah, that's it. I mean, I did see a really interesting tweet. It was from a journalist that I really respect on Twitter who wrote, you know, they're drivers, not girls. And let's talk about them that way. And I love that you made that point, Gareth, that like once the helmets are on and they're in the cars, like you can't tell the difference. And you shouldn't tell the difference, right? It's just a driver doing what they do. And, and it's, you know, I think talking in that language really ensures that this limited impact that we see now gets broken, right? The whole point is we drive as one, that there's, you know, more inclusivity in the sport. I think that the narrative of how we talk about she, her identifying drivers has got to be part of this change that we're trying to make. And again, I mean, that starts with us. That's why I'm talking about it on this pod. But it struck me as a really important thing to acknowledge and to think about, right? They're, they're drivers. They're not girls. And I think one of the things that we want to do with this podcast is have a female identified voice or two, please come join us. Yep. If you're a she, her identifying person who's into F1 or just wants to be a part of the podcast for a week, drop us a line at, at F one on Twitter and we'd love to chat. And hopefully, you know, we are looking for a female voice to round out our fanboys because I think it's important to us. Plus it's important to the sport. I was going to say, we shouldn't just be fanboys. That's right. Just fans. Yeah. Just straight out fans. Yeah, that's fair. A question for the two of you. Why was Austria a great place to put this as a featured support race and something that started to show up in articles? I feel like it was just when they had a start to the European leg of the season. It was probably mostly a logistics thing because we've done Austria, then we're going back to Silverstone next, if I'm not mistaken. It was probably a great place to do it. It's central. It's in Europe. A lot of racing series are kind of Eurocentric. And go, going back to what I mentioned earlier, everybody who races this has multiple other jobs that they have to hustle to make a living as a racing driver. And you've got to you know, find, find some stuff in the right, t- the right time of the year. So I don't know if there's any magic to it, but that, that's when they, when they stuck it on the calendar. I think probably you're right bang on. It has to do with proximity, frequency of races they've got in Europe now. And it's probably, you know, unfortunately, it still has to do with COVID and, and sort of where the restrictions are and where the teams can move around and the agility yep. that comes with uh, those restrictions, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Looking into the crystal ball for a second, do we think that we'll see more of what Aston did and have a she, her identifying driver that's connected to the team that also races in the WC? Yes. Or... So if memory serves, 
Jamie Chadwick, the current champion, I think she does some test driving for Williams. I want to say she does. That name rings a bell, yeah. And I think, quite frankly, it's, let's call it good business. F1 teams yeah. exist because right. they have the money to exist. And as a means of attracting sponsors, sponsors need eyeballs. Women have eyeballs and are interested in racing. And if you have female identified drivers as part of your team, hopefully on track regularly, that will drive interest in the sport, eyeballs to the sport, and dollars to the teams. Well, I think that actually then leads nicely. I think we're about time to start running contests as part of our pod. So I think what I'm going to do is purchase some W Series merch that we can start to give away at one of our later pods. So if you're a listener, look out for that. We'll get on top of that sooner than later. I just wanted to give everybody a little idea of the W Series schedule for the rest of the year. This was a big thing that David Coulthard talked about on the podcast was convincing F1 and Formula One management that we should be a support race. So W Series will be at Silverstone and then at Hungary, at Spa, Zandvoort, which I think we're all looking forward to, new F1 track. And then they'll do an away leg. Uh, They'll be at Coda in October and finish up with the eighth round nice. in Mexico. All F1 support race this year. In 2019, nice. there were DTM support races. This year, they've upgraded. And apparently, the website just popped up. In Canada, it apparently is on TSN and RDS. Really? Of course it is on RDS, because English people don't need to see this. Come on, TSN. No, 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 no. It's all about viewership, Randy. We've just Come lost on. our sponsorship from Visite Quebec. The Quebec Tourist Bureau has just dropped us. <laughs> <laughs> and we've gone on too long, but the W Series has a where to watch page. And I see Kenya, Algeria, Chad, Angola, South Africa. Like they've gone out of their way to tell everybody where you can watch W Series. In the US, it's on BN Sports Extra. Sky F1 is carrying it, and broadcasters around the world are carrying it. So yeah. there's a push to make it accessible, but they really just need to put the damn thing on YouTube because what's a television? I don't know. Well, listeners, check out our Twitter feed at, at FlippinF1. I'll get Gareth to send me the links, and we will get them up there so that you can see what he's seeing, because I think this is really important information. And that ends this particular segment, and we lead on to our next. What you doing, Lewis? Right on. Let's move on to What You Talking About, Lewis, where we look at the week's best radio calls between driver and pit wall, some of the broadcaster's best moments, and even some of our own commentary from our race text chat. Given that it was a fairly boring race overall, at least the first one, there was no incidents to speak of, no red flags at all throughout that weekend, and I don't even think we saw a yellow flag during that race. We might have had one, but I don't think so. Uh, And the second one had a little bit more action. So what were people saying on the radio? Alonzo. Alonzo, so this was the steering, which was race one, in qualifying. Beautiful. Whatever the position, I enjoyed that. That's what Alonzo said about his Q3 lap. Fernando Alonso, by the way, folks, he's loving life. He's loving racing. He's being both hilarious, but he's being like kind of the wise old man as well, giving props to people. And I'll tie this on with Fernando Alonso saying, I didn't want to pass George, basically. He was upset he had to pass George, but it was a beautiful battle. I haven't gone back and rewatched that Alonso-George battle, but I want to with each of their views and each of their radios. For our fans, Gareth, who may not have watched the race, just like listening to us, because, you know, I'm on. Hey, Marine. What was Alonso apologizing for? Oh, uh, this was in the Austrian Grand Prix, race two. George running P10, last points paying position. You get one point for that. 
Alonzo was coming up the track. I believe he had fresher tires and they had a bit of a kind of ding dong, clean racing battle, clean racing. They managed to race each other cleanly. Everybody else of George defending for his life effectively. I want to say like six, seven laps at least. And they raced each other clean. They raced each other hard. Alonzo kind of put a beautiful pass on him at the end. And he was, I have to go for it. I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he has to get that point. But he's sorry he had to take it from George. For sure. But I mean, it's it's Alonso being Alonso, at least Alonso in a race car, right? He's going to see the move and take it. And yeah. it's going to look like a, a Spanish player passing a ball. Like, it is just a beautiful thing to see. I mean, you know, it's funny because you say that. You say he was on his form and he's back and he's, he's living life, which is good. And obviously he had a, a good time at the Styrian Grand Prix in the qualifying there and, and everything like that. But fast forward seven days and the profanity, actually, that's probably something I would take out of the uh, Austrian Grand Prix is the number of F-bombs that were dropped by the drivers throughout the entire weekend. <laughs> I mean, the montage of radio calls that you could make of just each driver saying that word, it would last four or five minutes because, uh, you know, convinced that they just, they laid on thick. But he managed to drop a little because of that last corner parking lot in, in Q2. Yeah, and I'm mad at the stewards for that last corner parking lot, by the way. But it was super dangerous. He came around on a hot lap, and Vettel was just there, and he had to abort or hit the guy at incredible but speed. to be fair, it wasn't Vettel's fault. If you watch the onboards for the, the cars in front, no, it, it's it, not. You know, Bottas it, and, and, and Russell, both of those should have been penalized. They practically stopped on that corner. When we get to our stewarding segment, Phil, I have some big thoughts all about that. I don't know, though. Again, that made for another great Vettel old man moment, right? Uh, why did you tell me about Alonzo? Well, I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> it's like... but, but back to the radio, that was a beautiful thing from Alonzo. I've got a couple others from the steering, the first race. Uh, speaking of F-bombs, Pierre Gasly, puncture, someone fucking touched me. I got hit from everywhere. Gasly got squeezed every which way, but north, basically, going in, into those corners, lost a wheel. And Martin Brundle, Sky commentator, he was there for the first race, and his comment pure Martin Brundle gold. Good night, take a shower. <laughs> he sees the rear wheel of that car flopping around because not only was the tire flat, the suspension was broken. Good night, take a shower. <laughs> you know, uh, Spence gave us this one. This is one of my favorite Ooh. moments of the Grand Prix. Uh, he had Ricardo coming in and, and he gets uh, called into the box, you know. Darren, uh, Daniel Box, Daniel Box, Darren Pitlane, Darren Pitlane, Darren, and so Daniel just you know doesn't skip a beat, just like yep, okay, gets into the pit lane, Darren and pit lane. That's <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Ricardo's race engineer, forgetting who Daniel is or what at least what his name is. You're sticking on the McLaren for a second there, but jumping on that in uh, P2 practice for the for the second race in Austria. Lando had a lovely moment where he just came around the first corner, hit the gas, had a lovely uh, sort of tank slapper, as we call it. And, uh, you know, his engineer comes on the radio. What's the damage? And the only thing Lando said was talent. <laughs> that that <killed> was me. <laughs> perfect, right? It's great to have such honesty. It's like, yep, just talent. You know, again, this was another great, great moment of dry humor on the track. So Bottas, of course, spins out. But just before he spins out, he's like, how's the tire warm up? Spins out, and the pit, not skipping a beat. Not great, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> we have to appreciate that what 
seven of the 10 teams are based in uh, England, and we've got some great dry English humor in many of these things. Oh, for sure. For sure. And while we're on McLaren, there's another great McLaren moment, right? The Mac Pitwall comes on to Daniel and says to him, do your thing, Daniel. And again, without even a beat to skip, Crofty comes on, you know, Croft, one of the Sky commentators, comes on and says, and what is his thing? <laughs> That's as good. Crofty had a couple of good liners, but he had a good one there about Mazepin as well, in terms of talking about it in, uh, it's a spinoff. <laughs> <laughs> there was some tragic radio for the racers from, uh, from the first race. Uh, speaking of Daniel, we said white default zero one. That's his race engineer. Calls him Darren. And that's when he slipped back after charging through the field. He was up in the points. Something popped off in his car and he had to reset all the things. And there goes his race. Brutal. And he was back down in 13. And then uh, George Russell gets called into the pits and they say, okay, George, this is going to be a long stop because George's car ran out of air. I thought it was pneumatic fluid. Yeah. Pneumatics are air, Phil. Uh, it might be compressed nitrogen. Who knows? Science. <laughs> Science. Gareth has a new compressed career, Compressed gases. Way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, if you watch the race, you saw a mechanic who looks like he's got a big oxygen tank on his back, effectively. And they're trying to put more <laughs> air in the car. I want to say the valves in Formula One engines are pneumatic. Maybe they're electro-pneumatic. But there are pneumatic systems, and he'd run out of air in his car. And that took him out of the points in the first race. Uh, that makes sense. I don't know, man. Boring races make for boring radio and somewhat boring broadcasts. I mean, I think Crofty and Brundle bring it. Well, they always do. Did the best they could with the material they, they had. And, and some radio was pretty great. But overall, a little bit disappointing. Although our group chat never, ever disappoints. There's always just something that has me laughing so loud that I disturb the neighbors in the morning. And this week was no exception. At one point uh, in the second race, Lando had bought us number... And it was he had his number so badly that at some point Gareth speculated that a radio <coughs> message was going from Toto Wolf at Mercedes to McLaren's principal, you know, for whom Merck provides engines to say, Zach, would you like a discount? It's <laughs> 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 a great moment. I just you just imagine Toto saying it too. Great moment for the group chat. I guess the offer wasn't big enough though, because uh, you know he stayed ahead. <laughs> Like we do every segment, if you've got a great radio moment or something that you noticed that we didn't, please drop us a line at, at FlippinF1, and yeah, we'll try to get it up in the following week. Speaking of the group chat, though, the internet giveth, and of course the internet taketh away, but its cup always flows over with amazing F1 memes. Uh, so every week I'll ask the panel to share some of the funniest memes of the week that they've run across, and maybe we'll retweet them on our Twitter account as well. Also, send us yours. Listeners, we'll get those out. My favorite one actually came after the second week. And it actually genuinely caught me off guard for a moment because it was like breaking F1 news. Lando Norris and George Russell and Pierre Gasly hospitalized. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what the hell happened now? Is this some kind of, you know, Frank Williams thing? And then it hits you, the punchline for carrying their entire team on their back. (laughs) What were the memes that were hitting you guys this week? Sadly, because Andrew Spencer has been so busy, he's the youngest of all of us. I rely on him for the memes, unfortunately, <laughs> because, well, you guys are both young at heart. You're actually just, you know, younger boomers, quite frankly. And I don't like the social media. Internets, they got that thing on computers now. Although nothing for me this year beats Toto Wolf's table leg meme, the AWS Toto Wolf table leg. I want to see that every race. Oh, that was brilliant. 
Bill, any room in across your desk? I am afraid to say, same as Gareth. Not really. That one that you pointed out was the best one that I actually saw. And I'm like, you know, I was about to talk about that. And, <laughs> and then I realized where it came from. You. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> Damn, I was foiled again. I need to actually prep a few of these as we go through. Um... All right. Well, let's get into our next segment then. After a sleepy Styrian Grand Prix, the stewards treated the Austrian Grand Prix like it was a make-work program. There is so much to say that I am just not going to waste my time. This is penalty props and stewards sewer. And so, Gareth, I'm just going to let you go off and we'll pick it up. Oh, my God. <laughs> Even to come back to it, who are the stewards? What do they do? We have, at every race, a set of stewards. They are referees, quite frankly. We've got four of them usually. There's uh, three stewards and then a fourth steward who's a driver steward who's usually former driver. They are not appointed for the span of the season. Like There's no consistency. That's the problem. Every race has a different set of stewards. Sometimes they cross over. And you always have to have some rando from the local automobile sporting association. So we get widely varying, like the, the, the variance in this is just out of control. Something that's fine one week can be a penalty the next week because you've got four different people sitting there making the damn decision. And this isn't Michael Massey. He's the race director. He's not in charge of the stewards. Starting with qualifying, we've talked about Vettel got backed up impeded Alonso, ruined his lap in Q2. And the stewards went and looked at that because the race director's notes were very specific. You've got to slow at the entrance turn nine. You can't slow anywhere else. And a bunch of people were slowing everywhere else in turn nine, in turn 10, all the way through to make their laps. And I'm going to read a quote. The stewards determined that too many drivers contributed to the situation and therefore the drivers concerned are not fully to blame. So everybody who made this stupid giant traffic jam happen is not to blame except for Sebastian Vettel because you were at the end of the traffic jam. I see that. You know who the drivers were. You know that they all kind of broke what the race director's notes said. They had this follow-on effect. Penalize them. Throw points on their FIA super license. Everybody who was part of that dumb idiocy, throw points. So you start off with that, but we can't figure it out because everybody was there. I think it was a cop out. I mean, it was. It was a complete cop out. The stewards on that part. It was a, a complete another cop out. And you can't penalize the guy that is the last one in the train because if he had gone around yeah. and spun off or collected one of the cars, he would have been the one that would have gotten penalized again. So it was a lose lose. Yeah. And if you go back and you look at kind of what happened, Sebastian Vettel, he had his track position. And then as he is slowing down, because people in front of him are slowing down five or six cars start coming around him and cut in. It's like a zipper merge, cut in in front of him. So there's inconsistency in the stewarding because, quite frankly, we do not have professional permanent stewards. That's a problem. So, you know, Styria, okay, you can hit a few guys. See Charles Leclerc. Race two, you touch anybody, you force anybody off, boom. Five-second penalty. You're done, you're penalized. What happened, Sergio Perez? He goes off the track in turn one. And Alonzo talked about this after the first race. You can go off the track in turn one, maintain even if not keep an advantage. And he tries to hang it around. I want to say turn two or turn three. Goes into the gravel because the gravel traps are right there. And the stewards spend 21 or 22 laps trying to figure out if we're going to penalize Lando Norris. Ruins his race. 
and we've got this whole, well, was Sergio in front? Was Lando in front? Who had the right of way? Did he leave a car's width of room? If we want close racing, and we have had directives over the past couple of years from Michael Massey, it says, you know, first lap stuff, that doesn't kind of matter because we want close hard racing. Well, this was effectively, it was a restart. Call it a default first lap. Here's the close hard racing. Somebody goes around the outside and there's a million podcasts talking about this. If you hang it around out the outside, yeah, you're not supposed to get biffed off, but you're also taking a bigger risk. Yeah, but this is kind of where it bothers me, right? Because it's not like they made contact. It's not like Lando moved in and bumped him off the track. Ultimately, no, they, they didn't make contact. Lando didn't open his wheel. To, to be fair, though, Lando also didn't leave him with space. He knew he was squeezing him, and that was that was the point. And I'm not, I absolutely agree with you, Gareth. You know, the stewards are inconsistent. They were most definitely wrong uh, in in these areas. But the reality is, when you think about the interpretation of the rules, which is what they are there to do, right? He didn't leave him with any space. No, if, if, if you want right? to be black and white, to the rules, and I would love to quote you some rules, but the International Sporting Code and Appendices are not loading because, of course, Lando is found to have breached Appendix L, Chapter 4, Article 2 of the International Sporting Code, which is not the same as the sporting You realize we're about to lose the last two remaining listeners right now as you try to drone on about <laughs> Appendices L through Z459 or whatever it is? In, in, in fairness, uh, Pops Nanjad, he's listening, but he just fell asleep, so it's fine. Yeah, that's, it's, he's picking it up by his mouse. But you know, here's what I don't yeah, yeah. get, is why didn't they start with a black and white flag, right? It wasn't contact. You could have just given a black and white flag that said, this is your one warning, do it again, it's points, right? Or it's a penalty, right? And black and white flag is a driving standards flag. It means you're driving poorly. Yep. And they could have. I think there's some discretion to the stewards as to what they do. And they did that. They said hard and fast. You didn't leave, leave a car's width. Whether or not he was kind of in front of you or not, he was kind of beside you. And then Sergio Perez kind of ate the butt end of that in his battles with uh, Charles Leclerc. Although if you look at his battles with Charles Leclerc, they make contact, I think, each time. And it was way more cut and dry like Leclerc was in front. So that's why Sergio got 10 seconds worth of penalties. It's not for me the fact that the penalty was applied almost as much as Phil said. It was applied this week, but it wasn't applied last week. might not be applied next week because of the inconsistency. Giant gray you can have bad rules, but when bad rules are inconsistently applied, that's where, that's where you get into things. And it just ruins it for everybody. And then, of course, at the end of the race, we had more penalties for, well, Kimmy hits Vettel. What happened? I didn't see that. I didn't see him. No, I don't know. I know what happened. I don't know what happened. <laughs> what happened? I don't know what happened. Gas in the brake. Can't tell. Can't tell. What happened? <laughs> My blinker is on. It's the wrong blinker. And then there were a bunch of people summoned to the stewards. I want to say like seven drivers. There were a lot. Because they said, well, you didn't slow enough for the double wave yellow flags because Seb was off in the gravel. And just speaking to the idiocy of the stewarding, some people got penalties, but nobody in the points got a penalty. Nobody in the points got shuffled back. It was like Latifi and I don't know who else, Schumacher, Mazepin, both people well outside of the points. So again, if you're going to apply penalties, apply them evenly, you know, and we don't know what the stewards can see because they get magic cameras and all this shit, but it really looks like they gave everybody a free pass, both on the qualifying bullshit, as well as this yellow flag stuff at the end. And they only ding the people who it didn't matter if they dinged them or not because they were out of the points. 
Yeah, well, and as Gareth will tell you, because he's looking at the FII rules, right? Appendix L, subsection 20, line 23 is... It's Romanet 4. If you're in a zombie attack, go with somebody that's slower than you. <laughs> no, but to be fair, Gareth, I disagree with your point there about the yellow flags. You know, if you, if you think about it, it was Vettel and Raikkonen, they were already outside of the points. Yeah. So the people behind them, it wasn't going to have any impact anyway. So they did penalize. They penalized everyone that was behind them that went through on, on double-waved yellows. The world. Because every these people were behind them on track, in track position, the points-paying people. There were a bunch of people who were physically behind them on track because these guys were already a lap or two down. Yeah, but it's about where they were when it was on track. They may have actually slowed down. What we don't have is the telemetry data that, they, that the stewards would have that would say, okay, this guy's actually hitting the accelerator and going you know, 150, and, and realistically, that's too fast for that spot. It, it smacks of, let's say, being yet another cop-out. I think one of you two called it the qualifying stuff, a cop-out. I agree it's a cop-out, but I mean, we see this in, in every sport. Get your elbows out, play a fierce game, but hold on, it's too fierce, somebody's getting penalized, and, you know, we're going to make sure that the teams that are ahead or the players that, that are leading, yeah, will be a little easier on them. I mean, we see this all the yeah, time. It's... You know, right now, and I'm we, sorry, we I'm, I'm actually frustrated with Formula One because, you know, they, they're mid-season changing rules and regulations to try to actually bring the gap between Red Bull and Mercedes back to normal. You're talking about both flexi wings and pit stops. I'm talking flexi wings and pit stops, right? And this is the same stuff that they pulled back when Ferrari was winning absolutely everything under the sun, yeah. and they wanted teams to win. So all of a sudden, they, they started changing the rules. We've got to change the rules. You don't run a sport by doing that. If these are the regulations, and a, a team finds a way of making those regulations work, I mean, you're a lawyer, you know this gray zones, then let them do it, right? Change the regulations for the next season, but don't change it mid-season and impact on the team. Well, I think that's where we're, you know, the sport is going down a poor road right now. Conceptually, on a sporting principle i agree with you phil on a kind of regulations principle the regulator can change the rules anytime they fucking want relative to whatever path they have to go through to change the rules you know here's a giant loophole they get closed but i i agree with you it seems like they're trying to rebalance everything and if you want to do that put it in your regulations a lot of sports car racing has something called success balance if you win they throw like five or ten kilos of ballast in your car for every race you win or every point you score, whatever it is. And that is called kind of a balance of performance. It levels out your field. If you want to do that, if you want to balance performance, do it that way. Do it, let's call it honestly, and not through kind of back-end trickery with your lawyers. Yeah, see, this is why I, I say that qualifying should just be like, you know, you qualify where you qualify, but then you just draw lots. And the higher you qualify, the more lots you have in the thing. And, and you know what? Where you land is where you land, and there's a great possibility that you might be up front, but you might have to fight for it, and it becomes a, a whole interesting thing that's completely fair, right? Everybody still had the same random chance of winning, but it forces the fight. Well, they, in a way. They, they, they actually don't have the same random chance of winning. All right, fine. I didn't do the math on it, but... But let's be pedantic. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, the goalpost should not be moved, except uh, when we're counting points in this podcast. And the stewarding really needs to be professional across the board. What I do professionally, we have kind of 
unprofessional volunteers in a lot of the roles that we advise. And that can be awesome or it can be a problem depending on who's there. If you have professionals doing things, you're at least going to be consistent and have a consistent baseline level across what you do. And I think that's what the sport needs. It's been a debate for the ages. It will rage on. Dear FIA, I'm more than happy to show up and make pronouncements for an entire season. <laughs> Just, you know, pay me and fly me around the world and feed me and tell me I'm pretty. Uh, they might do the first two, but the last one is totally out of the That's out of okay, Phil. It's what I've got you for. Don't worry, Mrs. Stackhouse. You can tell him he's pretty later. That's fine. Aww. Well, I think that kind of wraps up our penalty props and steward sewer. This was kind of one of these bonus rounds that we'd suggest earlier. And Randy, you've stuck it on for this race. And my God, do we need it? Yes, yes. That flushes it down for this one. So people will listen to us because they've come from Drive to Survive or other things like that, which started to show the human drama behind Formula One. So let's talk about the silly season for a second and what's going on, what's happening with drivers, and the drama, and the craziness that's going on. Um, your best friend, Lewis, got a new uh, two-year contract. Yeah, I'm, I'm super happy with that. You know, yes. Lewis, two years, you know, another, uh, which means we're going to see him race when almost everything's kind of equal. Right. So all this complaining about his racecraft and, you know, whether or not he's the best. I mean, now we get actually start to see the answer, right? Like cars are generally going to be on somewhat of an more equal plane because of the spending caps, I think. Yeah, the engines less so, but the cars. Uh, I mean, you got development differences. You're still going to have differences. I mean, they're not going to be equal. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how this next phase of Formula One works with Lewis's driving style and what he does. Yeah, good for him for getting another two years. Though after that, he's probably done. But he's still winning races. I mean, he's still competing. Sure. He's a race away from, what, winning 100? And if he does it at Silverstone, that'll be a Mm -hmm. big thing, obviously. But then then it's all about, you know, that last championship or two, right? So why not stick around for two years? Get it done. And then, I mean, you're already knighted. Walk away and look after your other race series and and build out your foundation and do the things you're doing. and. That's great. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exciting for him. And I think, does it set up any permutations we didn't expect in the silly season? No, I mean, I think we were all expecting that. His, he was going to be confirmed. Uh, you know, the question mark now is what happens to that second Mercedes team? Is Russell moving? Is Bottas moving on? That's the next question that has to be answered. Uh, I personally think, yeah, it's a done deal. But I don't know where Bottas is actually going to end up. And I know Russell's going to end up at Mercedes next year. I think we all do. Like, it's fixed. They'd be crazy not to. Unless Lewis Hamilton somewhere has a no George clause in his contract. That's fair. But I mean, if Mercedes is thinking long term, if they really are thinking long term. And they should be because, as you said, Hamilton's aging out. Yeah. The best way to develop George, put him next to, to Lewis, who can still teach him a thing or two. Right? Other than that, from a silly market perspective, the only other silly story I've heard is the rumor that Mick is leaving Haas and going to Alfa Romeo, which would imply that Raikkonen is finally going to hang up his boots. Well, oh. it's basically time. I don't know if he knows where he is on the track sometimes. Oh, no, what happened there? What happened there? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's interesting. So then Haas all of a sudden is back into a two-driver market, which could open up everything again. Oh, no, they're a one-driver market. Uh, Nikki's, Nikita's going to stay I with thought them. Nikita's going to the, the Army next year. He's going to the Russian army next year. He's got to do like national service. I don't know that they'll be able to pay him out of that. Money in Russia pays for yeah, everything. But... Kleptocrat, <laughs> like his dad and Putin, apparently I read it on the internet. So it's of course true. They are <laughs> apparently like 
buddies from, I want to say like the college they went to or the military academy they went to. So if Nikita needs a deferral, I'm sure he could get it, as Phil said. Although I would think maybe if he has a complete crap year this year, he might actually take it as a timeout. Yeah, but I think if he takes it as a timeout, his racing career is done in Formula One. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he hasn't demonstrated enough to get back in from a, from a solid perspective. You know, it, it leads to the question as to what does Haas do with the, the second seat. You know, there's rumors that Gene actually wants to have an American racer in that car. But I don't know if there's anybody that's in the pipeline that could, would be good for that. Oh, man, this is so tantalizing. More Gunter on Netflix. I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Gunter's only on a, on a year-by-year contract, too. So, I mean, he may not be there. You think? I think Gunter would go away. I don't think so. I, I hope they There's keep There's been him. a dumb Gunter movement of late, but they would have to attract somebody from IndyCar. And the problem with IndyCar is IndyCar is not given kind of the same super license points that others, other top-level series are, which are like, you need this many points to qualify for what's called a super license. By the way, W Series, you get the same super license points there that you get in NASCAR for finishing and winning championships and stuff. I don't know if you're going to attract a top flight American driver. Like you're not going to attract Joseph Newgarden who's racing for Penske and defending and fighting for championships. Same with like Alexander Rossi, who's racing for Andretti Motorsports and IndyCar. Now Pato Award, he's a McLaren driver, but he is not American. He's actually Mexican. A guy named Pato Award, of course, being Mexican. He's the Paul DeRest of Mexico. And I got two words for you, man. Hashtag Hulkenback. Yeah. <laughs> Haas needs somebody who can drive a car. I, I presume they'd probably take a junior Ferrari Academy driver. Oh, they, they probably would. I mean, you're talking about Schwartzman or Elot. Well, Eilat apparently did pretty well because Eilat did a test, I think, at the Austrian Grand Prix for Alfa Romeo because he's their official reserve driver. And, okay, Mick goes to Alfa an Italian Jesus slash Mick pairing. We send Eilat down to Haas. Yeah. Yeah. That could be, that could be something. We've heard some updates on changes to the calendar this last few weeks. So let's get our fans up to date. Uh, we have lost Australia gone. Have they finished construction on that park yet on that circuit? Cause I know they were changing it to make it more racy. I have no idea. I don't think that's done yet. So maybe it's a good thing that we lost Australia. Well, we didn't lose Australia. But I think... We still know where it is. <laughs> that's, that's... You got me. Yeah. It's over there. Randy has pointed <laughs> west. It is over there. Just a long way. Yeah. It sucks to lose the race at Albert Park. Yeah. But, you know, maybe it's okay. It just lets them get the, the construction done, and, and we get to see an actual race race there. Hopefully. Yeah. And it's uh, November 19 to 21, so... That's late in the season, so... The question is, where the, what are they going to replace with? Because Ross Braun has said, and uh, Formula One have said, they're planning to still hold the maximum number of races this year. What are they going to replace it with? It's in a weird spot. It's after the United States, Mexico, and Brazil, and before Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi. So a bunch of flyway races. But, uh, I mean, my suggestion is we just come back to Montreal, have Pirelli develop some snow tires, and just uh, just see what happens. Love it, love, love it, love it. it. Yeah. Red Bull is destined to be better than anybody else because at least they have put a Formula One car on a ski hill. No, I disagree. I think Mercedes put Bottas in a Mercedes on snow one time, but I would predict like a Valtteri, Kimi, and then a Nicholas Latifi podium. Yeah. 
I like it. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I'm going for you know, Mazepin on the podium if that happens, because you know what? Russians got to know how to drive in snow. Yeah, but he still sucks. He's still in a heavy hoss. I mean, this yeah. is not... Yeah. Uh... Although, maybe if he's heavy, it's going to be good for traction in the snow. And <laughs> I... Now we're pulling at straws, guys. It's killing this. I'm not putting Lance on the podium, because we know he's Canadian, but more Swiss than anything, really. Uh, spent most of his time in Monaco? Yeah. Monaco? Gentlemen. <laughs> Does Yuki come from uh, from one of those colder parts of Japan? No. Is there a possibility that he actually figures this one out? I think Yuki's from Kyoto. Oh, okay. Well, maybe not. Which then. is closer to, the, I think, than the South. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It would be lovely to put a track on the schedule that's kind of unexpected. You're realistically not going to get a Northern Hemisphere track in November. No. no, but you're already out there. Does Argentina have a track? Or Uruguay? Like To race at Formula One, you have to be an FIA listed grade one track or grade A track which is in terms of the runoffs and the safety and the facilities. Uh, Argentina currently is a, a great two track. Sorry, guys. No Argentina races. Yeah. yeah. But looking at the, the grade A tracks, I hate to tell you, all the interesting places are gone. So it would be going back to somewhere else, really. You know what? Let's do two rounds in Brazil. Take two runs <laughs> in Interlagos. That'd be wicked. That'd be fun. Yeah. Let's do a Brazilian Grand Prix and a Sao Paulo Grand Prix or something like that. That'd be fun. And with that, let's get into our last one. Okay, let's close out this episode with a supersized winner whinge. Each of us is going to drop four to six things into the group chat that you enjoyed, were perplexed by, or simply downright irked you. From this double dose of the race in the hills. So let's start up with you, Phil. You get to go first. Of course I do. And I'm looking at my list and I'm going, well, I've used that one and I've used that one and I've used that one. We've talked about all these things. <laughs> uh, I'm whinging. I'm going to continue whinging about the race stewards. Let's just get rid of them. Uh, we don't really need anybody to govern races. Let's let them race. No rules. No rules. No rules. <laughs> no rules. Exactly. You know, Raikkonen's proving yet again that you've got to learn when to bow out ahead of the game uh, rather than staying in until the end. Really, you know, I'm intrigued to see where we go. I'm looking forward to Silverstone. I'm looking forward to, to the rest of the season. We've got out of this busy period now and getting into a bit more normal time periods. So it's going to be fun. Well, let's talk Silverstone for a second, right? Because we see the uh, the introduction to the sprint race qualifying. And that's what I'm, I'm intrigued to see how it's going to work. I mean, I know Gareth has his reservations about it. But I'm really intrigued to see how this works, to see if it does change up the order enough, if... It makes Saturday interesting. There's no point. If they're just going to processionally drive around a track and not really challenge each other, then there's no point, right? But if they're truly going to race, then it's going to be fun. And do you think if we see just a complete procession that is boring AF, do you think they're just going to yank sprint qualifying like they did a few years ago? Because yeah. what happened a few years ago with like the qualifying change up the yanked after a few races because it was so awful. I can't remember what it looked like, but I remember them yanking it. No, same thing. I don't remember what it, <laughs> I think it was one at a time. I feel like it was one No, no, no. Time. They did that. That's what they went back to because they did that for a long period of time for a number of years. I, I can't remember yeah. what they did. Yeah, it was some permutation of what we ended up getting, but it was just very badly thought out. And nobody, I remember nobody came out until the last five minutes 15 uh, minutes you had 45 minutes of the commentators filling time yeah. talking about the way yeah nobody wanted to come out nobody like and then all of a sudden there's this last five minutes and then yeah no so i think that's some of the sport just it prides itself on agile right on being able to pivot when 
something doesn't work unless it's the stewards. So I do think they'll yank it, but I'm interested to see what happens. <laughs> it's... Uh, you know, I think if, if it works, I think we'll see it come on board for more races next season. But I think, yeah, if it's a big, drastic flop, it's not going to make it to a second test. No. I concur. And Phil, I mean, I know you love Silverstone, so what are some of the other headlines you're looking for at this race? Well, hopefully there's no tire blowouts this time, uh, although that always makes it interesting. I'm sorry to all the British fans. I want it to rain. Give me <laughs> rain at Silverstone, mainly because I'm not there, so feel free to rain. I'm going to be doing my rain dance, whatever it is. Uh, but give us rain. Give us interchangeability. Give us weather that's constantly changing and, and forcing drivers to have to rethink and and mixes it up that way. Let's let's have a little bit of fun with this one. I love the circuit. I mean, I love Silverstone. Who can't? I mean, mm-hmm. you've got the hangar straight. You've got some of the most amazing flowing corners, uh, some amazing high-speed corners. It's a fantastic circuit. If right? only for the English naming conventions. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if you can remember all the names, it's the other the Corners thing. have proper names because we have history, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis will be telling his race engineer, you know, what's the name of that corner? Just tell me the damn name of the corner. Just call it that, damn it. <laughs> no, it is. It, it, it's both a beautiful circuit and there's history. It's the whole Damon Hill going out of the race and was it 97 or 98? And then just going over to the British Racing Drivers Association having a beer. Yeah. It's that type of history. And the British fans are always fantastic. And they're going to be there, I think. Uh, you know, that's that's the most important thing right now. They're full capacity. And I'm actually interested to see if, you know, Silverstone is really kind of, quote-unquote, a Mercedes track. Horner has said, well, if we can beat them at Silverstone, we can beat them anywhere, which is posturing. But this whole Mercedes track, Red Bull track, let's see what Mercedes bring. Let's see if they can be, quote-unquote, dominant there, or at least bring something to max. So you raise an interesting point, though. Does anybody truly believe that Mercedes has stopped developing? Because, I mean, that's what Toto is saying. You know, they're, they're not developing anymore. But I can't see a team that's about to win its eighth driver's championship uh, for Hamilton is going to stop developing. That's kind of my future of the sport thing is that Red Bull and Honda are seeing the fruits of capitalizing on the both, okay, we're doing carryover and we're continuing to develop this and we're doing the 2022 focus. It's one of those, have they made kind of a very strategic one-year play to be champs? And I don't know. And then Mercedes-Benz, mm-hmm. as you said, Phil, Toto came out and said, we're not developing it anymore. And then James said, well, yes, we are. And there's kind of like 48 hours of kind of what the fuck are you guys doing? A little bit of Mercedes spin doctoring. And then they said, well, yes, we are. And the driver said, well, we will have some upgrades. Let's see if they actually have upgrades. Let's see what their messaging is. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they keep with this barn door rear wing. I mean, that's, that's my question for, for Mercedes. It doesn't seem to be working. Why do they keep using it? Yeah, I mean, I think if there's anywhere they're going to bring upgrades, it's got to be Silverstone, right? You know, there's so much history. There's so much emotion at this track. And I think that's really what I'm looking for, right? you got George, you got Lando. Obviously, you got Lewis. All of them doing, well, except for Lewis, all of them doing, you know, particularly well this season. And, you know, with, with the kind of the emotion of having those fans back, kind of excited to see what that does to that set of drivers. And, yeah. And do they become overwhelmed by the emotions? Do the, does it drive them to you know, to fight harder, to do something new, to, to play it out. Unlike this weekend, you're not going to see orange flares at Silverstone, I don't think, really, all that much. You'll see some shirts, but... Go Lando. Let, let, I would love to see Lando win a race at Silverstone. Oh, man. the Yeah, for yeah. sure. I, I think so. I mean... I don't think it's going to happen this year. 
but I, I think it would be fantastic. I, I, I do agree. I think it would be absolutely amazing to see him win at Silverstone. Something that struck me about the venue this week, uh, we, we try to think about the venue, is we have the water sponsor presents the race at the energy drink track. Randy, you work in marketing and branding. Could you explain this? Oh, you know, this this is this is totally easy, right? This is like Zoom sponsoring Formula One, right? Which I thought was a Mazda sponsorship, like, by the way. Completely meta all of a sudden. Yeah, but Zoom sponsoring Formula One makes sense. BWT sponsoring at the Red Bull ring. Literally, Red Bull is pitched as a, this is better for you than water sometimes. For sure. But have you drank a whole night of Red Bull? You're going to need clean water after that. So it's. No, I'm allergic to it. I can't. <laughs> yeah, but my question is how did Red Bull allow that? I mean, they own the ring. Because they still got their name on there and they got yeah, money. Like, that's where you pay the coward fee, right? Like, you know what? If you don't want it, we'll find another sponsor that's willing to pay more. Like, you know, but pay the premium if you want to try to compete with us. But our name's all over the place. In fact, look at the statue. Everybody knows what it means. <laughs> Although maybe this was like BWT's flex on Red Bull. Like, Could be. But... Fuck you. We're going to sponsor your race. <laughs> I don't know. That just struck me as from a marketing perspective. Andrew Spencer. Hi, Andrew. Concerned that Burn Mylander is not getting enough laps in. He might be getting rusty. There haven't been enough safety cars. What? He drives an AMG just like me. He must be a great driver just like me. <laughs> Unless he's driving an Aston Martin, but I don't have one of those yet. Oh, hell. Ah, yes. <laughs> Which is funny, though, right? Because I do think, I mean, while we're talking about the venue, I, I honestly think Austria is just hmm. stunning as a venue. I, I really do think that other tracks should take a lesson. Like, don't stick an ugly track in the middle of gorgeous countryside. Like, make it fit in make it feel natural the neat thing about austria from a spectator's perspective i'd actually like to go there and having spent two races now watching it is it's very similar to spa in the concept that there are a few grandstands but there is a lot of space around the track where you can actually get a decent track view right and that in its own perspective when you're there on a race weekend being able to walk around and get mm -hmm. different perspectives Probably for practice and qualifying, not necessarily for the race. The race you want to be in, the seats you probably paid for, but that intrigues me. That interests me, right? Unlike other places where you're sort of stuck in your seat and you don't have any versatility. I love the idea. Of I agree with you. Get general admission tickets, grab uh, some nice Austrian beer and a couple of cold schnitzel sandwiches, and, you know, and find your spots on the track over the course of the weekend. Like it, it feels like, and that's kind of why I almost wanted to keep the doubleheader and just do something slightly different, right? Run it one direction one weekend, run it the other direction. That won't ever happen. The corners are banked all wrong for that. It just it doesn't work for the safety yeah. perspectives. Yeah, that's fair. But Randy and I, we've been now to Montreal a couple times. And yeah, we walked around. We could see some stuff. I have been down to the IndyCar track here in Toronto a few times, including yesterday on my bicycle. I drove it and made car noises. <laughs> but you really... You can't see shit yeah. except for the corner you're on. And that's the problem with going to races. Contrast that, uh, I've been to Austin for Formula One race, and I chose Turn One Grandstand where you can see turns two, three, four, and five down the hill from you. So it's, it's, just, it's beautiful because going to a race is a wonderful experience, but you do want to see the stuff or at least be able to move around yeah. to see the stuff from the different perspectives. So a track like Austria filled, where you can see all the stuff is fantastic. Yeah. So tourism Austria, if you need four guys to come out and, you know, 
maybe tour the track and talk about it on their podcast, we'd be real happy to do that for you. Just saying. Yes. Yes, we would. <laughs> or Red Bull. We'll do it for you guys, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Heck, we yeah. do it for BWT. I don't care. I look great in pink. Heck, we'll do it for like iTime or My World or whatever vaporware sponsor you have next year. Bottom line, we're not picky. Call us. We're available. Look at us. Do we look picky? <laughs> <laughs> so one of my big whinges is I really think that our podcast needs to start a Where's Williams segment because, oh my God, is there ever a team Outside the that can sort themselves out and then sort themselves off? In the same like two hour period, it is wild. It is okay. It is torture to watch as a Williams fan, a lifetime Williams fan. But it is torture to watch what they've been going through over the last four years. It really is. This was just painful. I mean, he was in the points. Both races. Both races in the points. Yeah, yeah. to have a mechanical failure is kind of inexcusable when it gets to this point now, especially when it's not a completely new car. I mean, come on. Can somebody inflate my Williams? Although it was probably Mercedes-Benz mechanical failure, to be fair. No, probably. To be honest, okay, I can't be upset. He got passed by Alonso. If he was passed by Mazepin or, uh, you know, Raikkonen, okay, maybe I'd be a bit more upset. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a struggle. I don't know. I, I got to look back at this. I actually haven't rewatched the race yet, but I'm sure there was a stop somewhere where one second could have made the difference or a half second. I mean, he finished more than five seconds down the road from Alonso. Like, his tires were hosed. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I still think that should be a segment that we do. That's my only whinge. But I mean, I think overall, you know, even with a boring first race, it's hard to say Austria wasn't a win. It's a wonderful track to watch a race. The second race was super interesting. Enjoyed it. Didn't fall asleep, unlike the first race. And so let's see what Andrew says. Fantastic. Ferrari's Jekyll and Hyde season continues, Randy. (laughs) Okay. But they, they got points this time. Leclerc didn't hit anybody. I have a Ferrari, but I have an AMG. It's better. I, I, I figured uh, I figured there'd be a Red Bull ring of one safety car at least two weeks on the sidelines. Uh, Mylander. No, the weirdest safety car, Randy. Um, Esteban Ocon's a little shunt there. Esteban say, Ocon, yeah. who had a crappy, crappy weekend, quite frankly. Yeah, but most of Spence's predictions, he loses points for these. Again, he loses. <laughs> So any other winches, any other things to look forward to? Looking forward to the British summer and a race at Silverstone after the Brits have won the Euro Cup. And that hopefully we get a Brit on the pole and a Brit who wins who aren't Lewis Hamilton. Well, folks, if you feel like uh, going to at Flippin' F1 and giving us your rendering of Phil doing his hula rain dance, we'd love to see what kinds of drawings you come up with. So put them out there and send it to us on Twitter at Flippin' F1. Other than that, get in there, fellas. The checkered flag drops on another race week. We've had a great time breaking it down for you, and hopefully you'll join us in two weeks at Silverstone, which is going to be an incredible race. As always, if you like what you heard, please throw us some stars. Even better, please follow us on at FlippinF1. Tweet out the link to this broadcast. Invite a friend. Tell somebody else that isn't our moms. And hopefully we'll see you in two weeks. I'm going to do without you guys for two weeks, man. I'm going to miss you. All right. No. Except you, Andrew. <laughs> Nuts to you, buddy. <laughs> this is getting old. <laughs> All right, boys. Say goodbyes. Cheers, Good guys. night, everybody. Slipping F1 is produced by the four fans that you've been listening to all night and is edited by Eric W. Special thanks to Quill Inc., who made so much of this possible. Have a great night. Thank you.
you know, they're cross-drilled for performance. When I go on the highway, it goes better. But it's a hybrid in the city, just like the F1 car. My AMG is the best. I take it to golfing because I am a golfist. <laughs>